Welcome to The Reality Revolution. I'm your host, Brian Scott. Recently, in an interview I had with Mitch Horowitz, we talked about the death of Neville Goddard. Also in my group, I had posted the death certificate for Neville Goddard. And I found the discussion to be quite interesting. I thought it would be good for us to talk about a little bit more. On October 1st, 1972, Neville Goddard died. There has been a lot of discussion about his death. We began talking about this when I had posted a recording of the Frank Carter lecture. Now, I had to remove that, but I recommend you find the Frank Carter lectures. You can find them on YouTube. You can even listen to the words of Frank Carter himself. And the Frank Carter lectures talk about the person that was with Neville on his last day. And I had read that. There were some people that were really turned off by Neville that up to that point, and this is very early on in the channel when we were just beginning to explore Neville Goddard, and I had read from the Frank Carter lecture, and there was an implication in that that he had possibly killed himself. The reason for that is when Frank Carter's talking about what Neville had to say about Judas killing himself and how in the East that it wasn't that big a deal. It wasn't that he had actually killed himself. And I got to talk about this with Mitch Horowitz because he has recently published his book, The Final Lectures, which are fascinating. He goes through the lectures of 1972 and in the introductory chapter, he discusses what he was able to find forensically about Neville's death. And so I wanted to talk about it with you because I found the discussion on the Facebook group to be enlightening. Many people were bothered by this. I found a lot of projection in response to his death certificate. Now, in his death certificate, it says the cause of death was rupture of the esophageal varices with hemorrhage likely caused by cirrhosis of the liver which implies that Neville was a long-term alcoholic in order for you to get the cirrhosis of the liver in most cases it is possible to get it if you're not an alcoholic there are some genetic circumstances where people get it but the majority of them are related to becoming an alcoholic. Neville talks about his drinking quite a bit in his lectures and it even makes up a part of his story that he tells about going to Barbados and his interactions with Abdullah. In the story that Neville told, he would be around Abdullah who was very old and Abdullah would just drink and drink and Abdullah would tell him, it is okay to drink as long as you don't have quibbles. So, Eva Reming on the Facebook group said, this bothers me. He couldn't get over his quibbles. She's also saying, doesn't this contradict his teachings? What I can say from my own interpretation of this is that we knew that Neville enjoyed drinking. As we see in his 1972 lectures, he comments on having drank a bottle of wine that day. We never hear him in any of the lectures slurring his words. Now, I am speaking to you as someone that used to love to drink. I've drank the drank. I know all levels of alcoholism. I can relate to Neville. 
and the joy of drinking. I do not drink and it has been a wonderful thing. But Neville obviously decided that he could keep on drinking and imagines himself in a situation where he can function completely. The first thing I wanted to say is that I believe that it's sort of a Mandela effect also. When I first started reading about Neville, I had heard that he had a heart attack. In fact, you can even see evidence of this in the Los Angeles Times in the obituary. They say that Neville had collapsed and died of an apparent heart attack. I remembered hearing a story about him falling down on the sidewalk. Another person saying that he had an aneurysm. Following Neville has been quite interesting because there was a very small number of lectures when I first read Neville and I thought, oh, I've read them all. And then there's these new lectures that pop up and I've even looked and some of them, I don't know, did he do two lectures in the same day? In fact, my following Neville's lectures has really made me question whether or not I am in that limbo between life and death because of the surreal nature of the way these lectures come out. And even now, some of the final lectures that Mitch Horowitz is mentioning, I had never seen before. We're continually getting new lectures, new stories. Perhaps Neville Goddard is sort of a consolidation point of different realities where people are learning in their souls about an awakening experience that is facilitated through these lectures that he gave. But if you go back and listen to the Frank Carter lecture, Frank Carter was a driver for Neville Goddard and he, at the end of his life, Neville didn't drive. Frank Carter was a regular driver and Frank Carter says that on the night of Neville's death, Neville's wife was in the hospital and looking back on it, it's likely that he didn't want his wife to see his death. In fact, if you listen to the Frank Carter lecture, he's implying very strongly claiming very strongly that Neville knew about his death. He knew it was coming and it was going to happen. He knew his wife was in the hospital and it was almost like he had arranged it. He knew it was happening. So in the story, Frank Carter goes to a dinner party with Neville. Neville and him get a martini and Neville only drinks half the martini. And then later pours half of it back into his glass and gives him some bread and cheese, sort of symbolic of the Last Supper. Now, as we go back to the death certificate, Neville died of a rupture of the esophageal varices, swollen or enlarged veins leading from the throat to the stomach, with hemorrhaging, perfusion of blood. According to Carter, after the dinner party, they didn't have any more to drink, and he dropped Neville off at home. Neville often spoke of enjoying alcohol, including a bottle of wine, a day with lunch in one of his lectures, Feel Chosen. He would say, I had my full bottle of wine today with some cheese for my lunch and thoroughly enjoyed a bit of wine and oh, a section of Edam. Now you can criticize a spiritual teacher because of their habits. And it's happened throughout the ages when we find out the truth of people that we look up to. We say, oh, he's not all we thought he was. You look at Alan Watts and he died an alcoholic. Some people suspect that perhaps Alan Watts died of suicide. Some people, when reading about Neville's death, called it a slow suicide in the Facebook group. He 
implied many times all the way back to lectures that I've read from the 60s, early 60s, later 60s. He talked excitedly about his death, that he was sent back, that he's just waiting. Then one of the lectures, he talks about if my death comes soon before my next lecture, and he was talking about things. He knew that he was here for a given period of time to share his own experience of the promise. We've gone over the promise in several episodes, but for people that perhaps haven't heard of Neville or listened to a Neville Goddard lecture, he claimed in 1929 he had this experience where he was taken in spirit into the divine council where the gods hold converse and he saw an angelic being and he turned and looked into his face taking a quill pen and she made a note in the open book from there he was taken into the presence of infinite love the ancient of days as described in the seventh chapter of daniel and he looked at me and asked what is the greatest thing in the world and he answered in the words of paul faith hope and love with that he embraced and he had merged with god and paul tells us he who is united to the lord becomes one spirit with him so he's had this experience where he's merged in union grafted with god and after 30 years in 1959 he had an experience he talks about in the law and the promise and in many many of his lectures where he realized that he was the father of david and for him that was important he was very much an expert on the bible and so this was symbolic for him that he was god the father that we would all have this experience of learning that our identity is god the father and he would use biblical language and different parts of the bible to show this is what they were talking about all along that the story of the old and new testament is all symbolic and the new testament is talking about jesus that is resurrected within you that we will all have this experience because there are references to david in the new testament as jesus is the father of david so he continued with this narrative and he lost a lot of his audience as described in mitch horowitz's introduction it had gone from 300 people to just a few people watching his lectures because he sounded insane he said that the temple was split and he had this feeling like his body was split in two and he talks about a wind that he heard and he had a baby that was born from inside a golden liquid went up through his body like a snake and then came out from his head and then he was holding his own body in vision from his 1972 what is man lecture and when man is turned around by a complete splitting of the temple for the curtain of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom and at the base of your spine you're going to see a golden pulsing liquid and as you see it you're going to know that you are it you're looking at yourself and yet it is formless and you fuse with it and you become that fiery serpent and up you go into the rain and it vibrates like thunder then you are completely turned around the energies that went down into generation are now turned up into regeneration and he talked about this process 
even going further in his essay on resurrection, stating that the crucifixion was really an experience of great pleasure in which you enter into the human body. You are crucified into your human body, and it's a symbolic place where there are energy points through your hands, the places where he was crucified. You entered into your body. We've experimented by using this feeling, realization, visualization in the I am Jesus Christ meditation. So a lot of this is crazy, and I for sure know that there are people that have listened to my Neville lectures and been turned off from it. He's always talking about the birth from above. So there is a feeling in those later lectures that Neville wants to go. We even get a discussion in his lecture, um, Enter the Dream, I had mentioned in my episode on eternal recurrence and also mentioned by Mitch Horowitz, where he was aware of his own death. He knew it was happening. In my own case, this little garment seemed to begin in 1905, but it was always so. It was always growing into manhood and departing in its 60s, always appearing occupied by God, moving towards a certain point and then disappearing. So Neville had this awakening and implied many times that he was fully aware of all of his past recurrences, meaning he had remembered reliving his life over and over and over again. And so he was aware that he was about to die. It was a knowledge that he had. And if you've lived this life a million times and you finally have awoken as God and you know you're going to die, maybe you're going to have some more drinks because you know it's inevitable. And as he claims, you don't earn your grace with God. It is given to you. You don't earn it by being a good person who doesn't drink, does the right things. It happens for everybody. You're going through all these experiences and it brings something out of you. So this death conflicts with many in the way that they look at Neville. Some people saying Neville needed to do some shadow work, that it's a reflection that he was troubled and it is an idea that looking at his death means that he was addicted. Now, Stuart Finney in the group said, I think you might be treating death as a choice, which of course it is not. The choice of when it or how it happens is also not a choice. I can tell you that when you become fully realized soul, you will understand that death is not an end of you. It is simply an end of this world for you. A realized soul, which I believe Neville was, does not fear death and certainly will have a proclivity towards self-destruction. Then others like Shauna Lee McDonough said, oh, my mom had cirrhosis of the liver. That's what makes you clot. No wonder he bled out. So after talking to Mitch and understanding the way that the cirrhosis of the liver can express itself, I do not think that he killed himself per se, but I do believe that he knew his death was coming. Now, the reason this is important, we go back to the Frank Carter lecture. In that lecture, Frank Carter has this dream. He sees Neville Goddard coming out of a restaurant and suddenly he contorts in his face. It twists up in his face and he has his bowels completely evacuate in front of him. And it was terrible. And Neville would actually stand up and say, I love it when you can tell me dreams about my death. And so Frank was scared to tell him about this and it bothered him. And finally, he was reading Acts 118 where they talk about Judas. And in the Bible, there's a couple of different versions of what happens with Judas. One is that he 
kills himself and the other is that he dies. It says in Acts 1.18, with the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field where he fell headlong, his body burst open and all of his intestines spilled out. So in the Frank Carter lecture, he calls Neville Goddard and gets his wife on the phone as well. And they're listening to it. And he says, Neville, I believe that you're Judas. And Neville says, I am. And Judas was the betrayer of the messianic secrets. He gave away the secrets of the messianic ways. He was talking about the fact that we are all messiahs. And it was symbolic. For Frank Carter, this became very interesting because he gets a call from Neville Goddard's daughter. And the daughter says, I think that Neville has gone. Can you come over? And so he goes over. And the interesting thing is when you hear the depiction as described by Frank Carter, Frank Carter says that the coroner was kind of shocked. So it wasn't a normal death that you would normally see. The coroner was shocked. And he said, we just don't understand why there's so much blood. Was he a drinker? And the daughter says, well, he used to be, but not so much anymore. And Frank Carter says, I only saw him drink a half martini. Maybe he had drank more, but when this happens, the coroner then brings him upstairs and he looks at Neville and Neville has a napkin on his face. He's entirely naked. His arms are spread out in the crucifixion pose and there's blood everywhere completely bled out which is shocking when i first had read that in the original podcast it was just shocking to me it was weird it's crazy and there was a part of me that said frank carter is just saying this stuff and how do we know and he's not neville goddard and there are some people that like abandoned the podcast they said well i, I kind of like neville goddard but now i think he's kind of weird and i'm really not interested kind of lost all interest in neville goddard and there were people that in the Facebook group said, you know, this really makes me lose interest in Neville Goddard. And that is your choice. I mean, you know, ignore the stuff that doesn't resonate with you. I just find it interesting that this was the way that he had died, the way that they had described that he had died. But here's the interesting thing is, as pointed out by Machorowitz in Another lecture, John, the crown of scripture, and, and we'll probably read that here in the future, which was one of his last lectures given on March 6, 1972. Remember the coroner takes Frank Carter upstairs and shows him Neville's body and there's a napkin over Neville's face and he pulls the napkin off of Neville's face. And in that moment, Frank Carter sees what he saw in the dream. And so he had told Neville about this dream and he'd seen what he'd saw. So in that lecture, it says, Neville's talking. So when they came into the tomb and found it empty, they found the linen clothes. Then they found the napkin removed from the linen clothes, the napkin that had covered his head. And here it was removed from the linen clothes. The linen symbolizes the body. This is the linen clothes removed from the body, but it was covering his head is a napkin. Well, the ancient word napkin which we translate napkin meant more than simply what you and I use today. Were you to speak of a napkin, a dinner napkin, a cocktail napkin, or a cemetery napkin? That seems the limit of a napkin in this 20th century or when our Bible was translated. But in the ancient days, it meant more than that. The napkin was simply that which is the afterbirth. An afterbirth is, if you see the afterbirth, then something was born. So, 
He tells you something was born by removing the napkin from the linen clothes. As in birth, you always remove the afterbirth. And that was what they found. Now, of course, this is all symbolism, but Neville says that's all symbolism proving that something was born. And what was born? God was born. So it's fascinating that he had died in this way and that Frank had witnessed the napkin and that it matched his dream and that it did align with the death certificate. Up until now, we haven't had the death certificate and we didn't know if Frank Carter was lying or if he was maybe making it sound different than what really happened. But it does at least at a minimum confirm Frank Carter's account, who was the last person to be with Neville on the night of his death. So on one end of the spectrum, if you're considering the words and teachings of Neville, he was an alcoholic who was very well versed on the Bible and had some crazy dreams. And on the other end of the spectrum, that he had been symbolized and talked about in the Bible, as Frank Carter says, and even using the words Neville in the Bible, referring to some other elements where the word Neville is actually used in some other languages. But it goes to a discussion of just our own mentors and spiritual teachers. Sometimes when you put somebody up on a pedestal and you say, oh, this person is amazing. I consider them my guru. And they'll let you down. For some of us, perhaps, it's a letdown. That it was a disappointment that Neville was just an alcoholic. For others, it does resonate. I understand Neville from reading all of his lectures. I could feel his joy of, of teaching this lesson and his real grace and beauty in explaining the words of what is happening to us, but at the same time, a craving and desire to enter into this other world. Neville had been sent by what he'd called the Elohim, and that's what happened in that vision. The Elohim is a brotherhood of gods, which represents all of us. In Frank Carter's lecture, he's talking to Neville about the woodlands, which is the earth, sort of the hell that we're in. The woodlands perhaps is third density. And Neville says, some people say nobody will ever escape the woodlands. And Frank Carter is talking to him and says, can you see the people that have never been here? And can you see the people that have left? And Neville says that you can see them both. And the ones that have been here and left are the most beautiful, wonderful beings. And he was talking about our experience in this place that we're in. And so if you're going through Neville, if he really had these visions where he had experienced multiple lives recurring over and over with his understanding and explanation, no one really dies. Neville's not dead. That he had moved on and was aware of it beforehand of what was about to happen to him. It becomes very interesting. It's fascinating nonetheless. Now, Frank Carter claims that he goes back, he's talking to the wife and had been in Neville's house and there was a note that was given that described what had happened. A note that referred to a biblical passage that talked about the Last Supper, implying that Neville knew 
what was happening. They found two notes. One was an official document. The other one was just an, a biblical phrase, which really implied that Neville knew this was about to happen. Now, Neville would tell you, there's nothing special about me. I'm no better than you. I'm not superior than you. I am you. And we're all the same being. Don't put me up on the pedestal. Neville went through all the things that we do. That's the purpose of this life. All the experiences, all the flaws, all the weaknesses. It is a thick, unusual, powerful simulation or dream, as Neville liked to call it. A drama that we're all put through. And you're going to have your weaknesses. And I promise you, many of the spiritual gurus that we follow now are experiencing the same things that you are. We all have habits, weaknesses, things that fall into traps. And it is just a part of being human. We want to do better. We want to understand the world that we're in. But the thing that's powerful about me, no matter what happened with Neville's death, is that when he is talking to me, he's talking to another part of me. He's talking to a deeper part of me. And I can't even put it into words. They'll have a line or phrase, and it opens up a cosmos within my soul that I can't put into words. And that's why, for me, it resonates. Perhaps Neville has been placed before us because we're all at that point in the simulation where we've lived this life so many times that we relate to Neville's life and his teachings in our own lives. Our own lives are symbolic and the things that we do are symbolic because we are all God experiencing different things and experiencing scripture according to Neville. The scripture is like a witness to what you're having happen in your life. We are all this fiery serpent that is all one protean being that is God. And Neville put that in words that communicated with that part of me that had come from that Christian background, that had read the Bible and had heard these interpretations of the Bible and took it and flipped it and took this thing that I thought was ridiculous, which was the Bible, and made it somewhat interesting again. And I don't care what Neville was doing behind the scenes, the words that he had communicated to me. Perhaps his life was a contradiction, but I get the feeling that he enjoyed drinking, so he did what he enjoyed. And he imagined that he could function properly and he had control over his life. Perhaps it was a slow suicide because any form of addiction where you're doing damage to yourself is a form of slow suicide. When I drank every day and I drank heavily, it was a part of me saying, I don't want to do this anymore. That I want to escape. My alcoholism most certainly was a natural outgrowth of shadows that I had not integrated or dealt with in my life. Because Neville's me. I see myself in Neville. He dies almost within a couple of days of my own birth. Many of the things that Neville experienced in his own life, I experienced myself. So I see a reflection of myself in Neville and a lot of people that may be responding to Neville are seeing a reflection of themselves because we are all the same unified being. We are imperfect. We make mistakes. 
all of us. But within these teachings and his life experience, there is much to learn. So I would say just judge, judge it yourself. And however, if this bothers you, then don't listen to the Neville Goddard episodes. I still find that they resonate even more. But I'd love to get your impressions of his death. And if it means something to you, and if it contradicts with his teachings, if Neville was a contradiction from what he put himself out there as. I never saw Neville claiming that he was a goody two-shoes that didn't drink or anything like that. So I don't know. If he did claim that he's creating his own reality, then the question is, why did he create this terrible thing to happen to him? And the point is, he was aware of the next life, the next place that he was going and was not afraid of it and wasn't trying to create a reality where he was avoiding death at all. So you can find all episodes of The Reality Revolution at therealityrevolution.com and welcome to The Reality Revolution.